I think I'll take Tess for a walk, I announced one morning. Tess is our four-month-old. This would be our first walk together. My wife Tracy paused. The silence throbbed with concern. Oh, she said. Uh, okay. I've already got the baby uh, chest sack carrier thing, I said. If you can put her sweater on or whatever. You, uh, you sure? Tracy asked. I was already busy putting the harness on inside out. Yep, we'll be fine. I'll go with you then, Tracy said. She sounded extra cheerful, persuasive. Well, if you don't mind, I said, I'd really like to take her myself. Maybe you could do something nice while we're gone. Like what? She asked. I don't know. Yoga? Coffee? I couldn't recall how we used to spend an hour of our old lives before Tess was born. Nah, Tracy insisted. I'll just go for a walk with you two. I couldn't angle a kind way to say, but I don't want you to walk with us. For once, I want to take Tess for a walk by myself. So instead, I said, Look, you never get any time alone. Tracy didn't need reminding. In four months, she'd never been further than the shower without Tess either in her arms or in sight. She hadn't much in the way of alternatives either. I'm her husband, but I'm also blind. And people are naturally wary of leaving me in charge of a baby. Even my own. Though I've been blind for ten years now, I'm still not very good at it. I lost my sight slowly, over a fifteen-year stretch. A slow and painless deterioration of my retinas caused by a genetic misfire with a long name. While I've adapted to much over time... Four months with a baby is a slender window in which to perfect my new dad skills. Just imagine changing a nappy in the dark. What was once a diaper is now psychedelic origami. Today my plan was to strap on our child for a walk through city traffic. You can understand Tracy's reluctance. It's just a little walk, I said. We'll be fine. You have the baby carrier on upside down, she said, surrendering and got up to dress our child, maybe for what was in her mind the last time. A few minutes later, I descended our front stoop with Tess. I have never been more petrified as a blind pedestrian. Tess was harnessed to my belly, and the weight of her there, that new presence against my chest and stomach, brought other sensations to the surface. I could feel memories of mushing my gut into any number of undetected obstacles. Into poles, bicycles, parking meters, chain-link fences, you name it. I stepped cautiously, deliberately, as if carrying a sack of sweaty dynamite. I swept my cane with the care of a mine detector. Twenty minutes later, we'd only made it to the corner. We live two doors down from the corner. The first person to pass us saw the situation in simpler terms. Jesus, that's got to be tricky, she said as she passed. Maybe she said it to me, or maybe to a person she was walking with, or maybe, as her phrasing suggested, to her pal Jesus. Already, strangers were praying for our survival. Within the next block and the next 20 minutes of slow-going movement, at least a half a dozen others offered similar prayers, or insisted on guiding us, or asked to take us home 
or asked if we'd lost Mommy. Slowly, we edged around the corner at Grant Street and left the residential sidewalks for Commercial Drive, the busiest street in my Vancouver neighborhood. More people meant more noise to govern by. A good thing. The sound of traffic stretched into the distance, so at least I had something pointing me in the right direction. The help of crowds has a backhand, though. Busy people pay less attention to their surroundings. Folks regularly clip my shoulders, and I've been caught off balance and knocked down before. Here they might even slam us head on, or smush a slice of hot, cheap pizza into Tess's face. And there would be dogs, too. Usually it's pit bulls around here. Pit bulls leashed to bike racks or snoozing in front of doorways, as you'd find them in their native habitat, by the gates of Hades. Too often I've whacked my cane against a dog where no dog should be, and too many times large, toothy shadows have snapped at my legs. Tess could become a chew toy. I waved my free hand in front of us, braced my arm, and pushed ahead the way running backs rush into a dog pile, but really, really slowly. Within ten steps, somebody clipped my shoulder. As I rebounded, it happened again, this time sending me off course, towards a garbage can. A woman caught up with us. She'd retrieved Tess's baby sunglasses that had fallen to the sidewalk a while back. Here, she said. You let the baby drop these. Thanks, I said. You should be careful, she said. Telling a blind person he should be careful is like telling him to look out. It's not a question of should, but how. I thanked her again and tried to fit the glasses back onto Tess's face. Mostly, though, I just poked at her chubby cheeks with the arms. We shuffled on. Soon, I recognized a voice at a sidewalk cafe table. The voice belonged to Joe, an older Italian man who continues to be, as best I can determine, shackled to my preferred coffee shop. My God, he said as we approached, you got a little baby. He was up and at us in seconds, pinching Tess's cheeks. This was a man who looked past my blindness and her vulnerability. He simply drank in the baby and her babiness. It was refreshing. I'm telling you, Joe said, coming up for breath. This is a hell of a beautiful baby. She likes me, I can tell. He tickled the baby some more. And look, Joe went on. She's got a little sunglasses on and, uh... Suddenly, all the espresso-fueled joy drained from his body. The glasses. My God, no, he said, his voice low and serious. She don't see. My God, she don't see like you. It took a few minutes to convince him that everything was fine. He found it hard to believe that babies might wear sunglasses for comfort. As we rounded the corner at Gravely Street, stepping past the pub and local Ubrew, a mere 30 yards from home plate, I heard the ridiculous girth of an SUV shoot out from a building's underground parking lot. The weight of its supersized engineering and Freudian neurosis blew across the sidewalk in front of us. Close enough, in fact, to bat the cane from my hand and into the street. My heart stopped. I didn't know if Tess had been clipped. Everything happened so fast. She sucked wind, readying a hail of tears and a permanent distrust of her father's guidance. 
Nothing came, though. And still nothing came. So I knew she was shaping that worst cry. The deep, silent, open-mouthed cry. The one that can't find any voice in the beginning. I braced myself, and then it arrived. She violently shook and kicked and squealed. With laughter. Out of her came a glee powerful enough to start my heart again. A laugh like I've never heard before. Meanwhile, the driver had stopped. He fetched my cane. Had I been one step closer home, when the SUV had left the lot, my spine would have resembled what now remained of my cane. Sorry there, the driver said and handed me my new boomerang. Didn't see you coming. Cute baby. Before I knew what to say or remembered how to yell, he was back inside his tank, putting it in hyperdrive. You should be careful, he said from out the window, and sped away. The moment we walked through the front door of our house, Tracy rushed to us from her perch at the living room window. Were you watching for us? I asked. Of course she said. She began to dismantle the baby carrier on my chest. She had the speed and dexterity of a soldier breaking down a gun. And so, how'd it go? She asked, lifting Tess out. Her relief was audible. It went fine, I said. Perfectly fine. Tracy laid Tess on a blanket and left us there for a minute while she readied Tess's bath. On the blanket, on the floor, blocks and stuffed toys circled my daughter like a moat. She was safe. Safe from me, perhaps. My fingertips found her chin, her nose, two impossibly tiny ears. I'd know that face anywhere. I touched her fingers to my chin, to my whiskered cheeks. See? Papa, I said. Papa. Papa. 